Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Welcome and greetings to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly, and I'm joined by Tim Foster, the executive director of Open California. Hello. And we'd like to talk a little bit about California politics today. Tim, yeah. how are you doing? Any, any suggested topics? Well, we can talk about the new California 120 article that Paul Mitchell just uh, posted on the Capital Weekly site. That's true. We can do a shameless plug for Paul's article, and there are a lot of interesting things in it. You have to go to the website, though, to get the details. But here's what really struck me. Uh, the question is, does the ranking on the ballot, a candidate's ranking on the or a ballot measure's ranking for that measure, does that affect the turnout? Does that affect the way the vote ultimately comes out? And in Paul's estimation, there's good evidence that it does. He took a look at a couple of races, several races actually. One of them, Patty Lopez and Raul Bocanegra, in which Lopez scored a very much a, an upset victory in 2014. Yeah, that was the talk of the Capitol, as I recall at it the was. time. And you know, it, it still is in its own way. Paul noted that the Bocanegra campaign, after the vote, did post-election polling. And the post-election polling actually showed him ahead by double digits. This is after the ballot was this is after the the balloting was over. It was just kind of weird. And do uh, to fill in, most people I think listening to this would be fairly familiar with this. But Raúl Bocanegra was the incumbent. Raúl Bocanegra was leading into this election so much so that he wasn't even in the uh, in the district on election day. He was helping some of the people who were. Uh, in tighter races, and he was campaigning for them in their districts, came home and found out that he had lost to a political unknown, Patty Lopez, who had been a community activist, and uh, she had taken him by a slight margin, but enough enough to put her in the Capitol and to put him uh, out of a job. So the question is, does the ranking make a difference? And Paul found four districts, four races, recent elections, in which the ranking did make a difference, it did not decide a winner. It did not change the results, but it changed the margin by which the winner ultimately won. Now, for example, in the 19th Congressional District, it was Robert Murphy, Bob Murphy versus Zoe Lofgren. In the primary, Robert Murray was on top. Lofgren was ahead by 34 points. In the general... And by on top, I mean, you mean that his name came first. placement on the ballot. He was yeah. not on top. He wasn't getting more votes. He yes, was just, you mean he was on top yeah. on the ballot, yes. Yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> and in the general, Zoe Lofgren, who was on top, then won by 52 points. Now, again, she's on top, and her points that she pulls, she's way ahead, more than she was when she was not on top. In the 30th Senate District, it was Holly Mitchell versus Isidro Armenta, in the primary, Mitchell is on top in ranking, and she's, she wins 71 points above. In the, in the general election, Armenta is on top, and Mitchell still wins, but only by 38 points. We're talking about a 30-point difference at that point. Yeah, and that's more than enough for Raul Bocanegra to have flipped. Even going into his election, he was ahead by double digits, but not by 30 points. Yeah, exactly. So. And so that's the issue, that the ballot placement seems to be playing a role here. Now. And then the other piece, uh, he's thinking that possibly could be a result of top two. The other thing is people yeah. are not used to having a Republican, or excuse me, two Democrats on, a, on an election. So they may have assumed that 
Raul Bocanegra was a Republican because the top person was a Democrat. That's exactly it. And in fact, as he points out, in their district, everyone above them for the first for the previous two pages had been Democrat first, Republican second, just through pure coincidence. Yeah. And if you had been checking off Democrat, Republican, and paying attention to that yeah. series, you may have just assumed that Raul Bocanegra was the Republican. That's a good point. And, and it, it was a lengthy ballot. We're talking about two pages. By the time you get to the end, uh, he, and he was below Lopez on that ballot, uh, by the time you get to the end, there's some evidence. I mean, Paul points it out. There's some evidence that that played a role. And interestingly enough, uh, Lopez, the political outsider who... Uh, was a complete mystery to pretty much the entire Capitol Press Corps, I think, when she got here. And she, there was a story in the B today, I think it was today, maybe it was mm -hmm. Sunday, but I think it was today, uh, that she had just introduced legislation to forbid legislators from taking trips on the dime of special interests. Yeah. On the dime of nonprofits. Not, she, I'm sorry. She specifically goes after nonprofits. In fact, that's a good segue, because I was thinking, uh, and the B had mentioned that too, that uh, there's Jeremy White in the B mentioned that um, it sort of exemplifies her role as an outsider that she would that she would author this legislation. Uh, the legislation says that nonprofits can't pay for expenses or travel of elected officials when they go to conferences. And they have gone to many of them. The most famous one or the one that I think of immediately is the one in Maui every year in Hawaii every year. And I think it's Independent Voter Network is one right. of the sponsors. And, and I know that a B reporter was it Jeremy White? So I'd be reported actually gone this year, and uh, you know the B the B put that on their dime. So yeah, yeah. kudos to them. Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know I don't know that this bill is going anywhere, but uh, but it is sort of it, it it speaks to Patty Lopez as sort of an outsider. Good for her. I mean, she's sponsoring the bill. It's a good bill for her. She thinks whether it goes anywhere is anybody's is anybody's guess. Lots of legislators have gone to these events, and in many cases the 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 entity sponsoring the event has made it clear that their bylaws preclude lobbying. They're not lobbying people, but they are networking. And so that issue arises, and it seems like, a, on its face, it seems like a good bill to me. Yeah, well, and, and I thought it was just interesting that Patty Lopez happened to be the one yes, uh, yes, introducing totally. that bill. And moving right along, there was another bill authored by Assemblyman Ken Cooley, a Rancho Cordova Democrat. And the issue, I think, is really interesting. The uh, use of names, naming by fiscal entities in parks. And the question arose when a uh, company that was contracting with the National Park Service wanted to change the name of some famous landmarks oh, yes. to include their branding. Uh, the idea was to promote their branding. So probably the most famous name of all in Yosemite National Park, I think, is Iwani Lodge, and they wanted to change that to the Yosemite Hotel Majestic or something. Uh, that was only one. There were several others. This bill... It's twenty. It's AB twenty two forty nine. It would prevent not only applies to state issues, state parks, not so to national. Parks. Wouldn't affect Yosemite. Then. Would not affect Yosemite, but it was Yosemite that sort of inspired it. Yeah. And the idea it would um, block concessionaires who attempt to trademark names associated with the state park, and seems to me to be a no brainer. I would hope that this would get through without a whole lot of uh, argument and dissension, but we'll see. Yeah, that's an interesting bill. Yeah. Um, the naming of these things has nothing to do with it. Made me think of these stadiums oh, that yeah. are named, you know, uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium and uh, uh, AT&T Stadium and Petco Stadium. And I believe we have Golden One Center will be opening here in October. And I think before that we had, at one point, we had Power Balance Pavilion, which was really 
<laughs> just a head scratcher. Sleep for, for train me. arena. I mean, yeah. come on. You know, I mean, I, you know, a name. What isn't a name? Well, sometimes a lot. And stadiums, it seemed to me, especially when they're at least in part publicly supported, deserve to have something that's uh, that sort of exemplifies the public will or the or the the public culture in some fashion rather than oh, just you a corporate name. Socialist, you John. I know totally. The, but the you know the conservatives or the fiscal conservatives will ask who's going to pony up that extra twenty million dollars that they get for the naming rights, yes. which I think yeah, that's true. You know, I actually don't remember what golden golden one paid, but it was a significant amount of money. You know, they should pony up that money for the the satisfaction and the fulfillment <laughs> of having a public name, <laughs> the joy of the anonymous contribution. You know? Well, excuse my uh, my chortling at that. <laughs> that was a derisive chortle. I could see that. Well, I think that's it for today. Yeah. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, Tim. Thanks for being here. And this is John Howard. We'll see you next The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Next time around.